This is going to uh, corrupt our political system for a generation to come. Well, that sounds like fun. Or, you know, Tuesday. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling that something ain't right. No, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 People Powered Radio in Los Angeles. Up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast, 106.7 FM Queso in Cottage Grove. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI News Radio. In Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. In Columbus, Ohio, on WGRN 94.1 FM. In Palinville, New York, on 102.9 FM WLPP. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul, on AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Also coast-to-coast and around the globe, streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Revolution 99, Detour Talk, Radio Monterey, and Radio Sputnik. Blanketing Planet Earth. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us today for an all-too action-packed, thrilling adventure that we call the uh, the Bradcast. My apologies if my voice is uh, fading in a little bit, in and out, fighting off a cold here. Um, breaking news as we go to air, Donald Trump agrees to a $25 million settlement in the Trump University fraud cases. That's right. Uh, Trump, who has uh, repeatedly bragged he never settles lawsuits, despite a long history of settling lawsuits, has agreed to this uh, $25 million settlement. This will end the fraud cases, several cases pending against his uh, his uh, defunct real estate seminar program called Trump University, as Washington Post describes it. This uh, settlement means that the uh, Trump will uh, not be called to testify in court in the middle of his presidential transition. It ends three separate lawsuits against Trump University. Uh, This is according to uh, New York Attorney General Eric Schneiderman, uh, who said in uh, in a statement that his office had sued Trump for, quote, swindling thousands of innocent Americans out of millions of dollars and that the settlement had come despite significant resistance from Donald Trump for years. Schneiderman said today all that changes. Today's $25 million settlement agreement is a stunning reversal by Donald Trump and a major victory for the over 6,000 victims of his fraudulent university, said Schneiderman. Uh, He has called the uh, real estate program, quote, a fraud from beginning to end. That uh, will be your new president of these United States. Uh, No, not Schneiderman. uh, Donald Trump, the fraud. 
Ah, amazing. Um, anyway, uh, he didn't, of course, want to be exposed to a fraud trial all of a sudden, so it looks like he bought his way out of that little problem for now. Must be nice. In the meantime, speaking of fraud, in 2000, Republicans used the U.S. Supreme Court to steal the U.S. presidency for George W. Bush. In 2016, it appears that the Republicans have used the presidency to steal the U.S. Supreme Court for themselves. And there seems to be little, if anything, going on to try and prevent that from happening and and to keep the uh, the hard right from gaining a majority on the court for generations to come. My guest coming up has a provocative idea how to uh, how to prevent that from happening. So you can look forward to that in a moment. Also coming up later in the show, a few rays of optimism, even if small ones. But we'll take whatever we can get uh, at this point these days from Desi Doyen, of all people, and the (laughs) Green News Report. Hi, Des. We try to bring the sunshine when we can. Where we can find it. Uh, And you've got some here because uh, Bernie Sanders... Uh, among uh, other optimistic developments in your uh, latest Green News report, finds a potential new way to block the Dakota Access Pipeline. That's yeah. kind of cool. We will yeah. look forward to that. Uh, and keep, well, keep that in mind because things will just, you know, kind of get. It's kinda, only going to go downhill. It's going to go there, get so dark. Hold on to the bright It's going to get dark for a while here, I'm sorry to say. Uh, retired Lieutenant General Michael Flynn has been named by the Trump transition team as national security advisor. At least we we think so. Very strange the way this happened yesterday throughout the day. Uh, you know, I get these iPhone alerts from uh, from AP and CNN and NBC and so on and so forth. And usually when there's breaking news like that, they'll all all of these uh, big corporate outlets, they'll all send out their breaking news alerts at once. Now, this was like <clears throat> over about six or eight hours at least throughout the day. Can't remember who broke it first. Maybe CNN sent an alert first. And then about three hours later, I heard from the New York Times that Michael Flynn had been named. And then another three or four hours later, AP confirms it and NBC News confirms. So uh, very strange. So we presume anyway that Michael Flynn uh, will be named as the national security advisor for Donald Trump. He uh, that position won't have to face any sort of uh, hearings or approval by the U.S. Senate, which is a good thing, considering um, General Flynn. uh, This was this was just days before the um, just days before the election. He's been, of course, a a surrogate, an advocate for uh, for Donald Trump. He had tweeted just I think it was about four or five days. I don't have the date here uh, right before the election. Uh, You decide. NYPD blows whistle on new Hillary emails, money laundering, sex crimes with children, etc. Must read. And then he links to one of these fake news sites that we've been talking about for the past few days. A completely nonsense story having to do with uh, the the emails found on Hillary Clinton's uh, actually on Anthony Weiner's computer and uh, claiming that they will reveal all sorts of things that Hillary and everyone else, all kinds of Democrats, will be going to jail for this sex ring. This was tweeted by General Michael Flynn, the man who will become the next security advisor to Donald Trump, the national security advisor to Donald Trump. This is the kind of judgment this guy has. 
retweets a completely fake news story claiming that uh, Hillary Clinton is involved with sex crimes with children. Uh, It wouldn't be the first time General Flynn has shown his uh, terrible judgment, shown uh, who he really is, I guess, back in July, according to the Jerusalem Post. Flynn had accused uh, presumptive Democratic presidential nominee Hillary Clinton of corruption uh, in cahoots with Jewish people on Twitter. (laughs) The former uh, general, uh, as as the Jerusalem Post wrote back in July, the former general who GOP presidential nominee Donald Trump at the time considered for his running mate and who last week delivered a primetime speech to the Republican National Convention, was responding at the time to accusations by the Clinton campaign that Russia was behind a hack of the Democratic National Committee uh, and a subsequent leak of emails uh, in order to help Donald Trump's candidacy. Well, Flynn wrote on Twitter that the corrupt Democratic machine will do and say anything to get Clinton elected. This, he said, is a new low... And then he retweeted, this was along with retweeting a message that read, quote, the USSR is to blame, unquote. That's, they were making fun of that claim. And then adding, not anymore, Jews, not anymore. Wow. So he not only has zero judgment when it comes to fake news. This is the guy that's going to be determining what is real terror threats. He also he's it, also an anti-Semite. Well, either he's an anti-Semite or he's uh, happily retweeting anti-Semites. This was the the retweet said, "Not anymore, Jews, not anymore." Flynn uh, uh, said it was a mistake. It was a mistake that he retweeted that. I don't know why. Uh, does part? that mean he accidentally <laughs> retweeted it? Oh, uh, or that uh, he, uh, you know, anyway, there's your new national security advisor. <laughs> uh, what else do we have here? Oh, yeah, Jeff Sessions. Jeff Sessions, uh, Senator Jeff Sessions from Alabama, is apparently Donald Trump's pick for attorney general. As Ari Berman describes over at The Nation, Donald Trump has chosen a white nationalist as his chief strategist. That's a reference to the appointment of Steve Bannon former Breitbart chief uh, as his new chief strategist and a white nationalist sympathizer as his pick for attorney general. The Confederate general that uh, he's named after, Jefferson Beauregard Sessions III, has long been a leading voice for the Old South and the conservative white backlash uh, vote that Trump courted throughout his campaign. Sessions, as a U.S. senator from Alabama, has been the fiercest opponent in the Senate of immigration reform. He has a long history of opposition to civil rights, dating back to his days as a U.S. attorney general in Alabama in the 80s. And the Senate, the U.S. Senate, has already rejected Jeff Sessions for a federal judgeship during the Reagan administration because of racist statements he made and for falsely prosecuting, falsely prosecuting black political activists in Alabama, voting rights activists. He opposed the Voting Rights Act, the country's most important civil rights law. And so uh, apparently he wasn't good enough for federal judgeship, but he is good enough to be the top, the chief law enforcement officer for the United States of America, according to Donald Trump. Project Vote, uh, voting rights activist group, uh, their president, Michael Slater, issued a statement 
saying that the role of the Attorney General of the United States is to serve as the chief lawyer and the chief law enforcement officer for the American people. Jefferson Beauregard Sessions III has proven throughout his career that he does not represent the interests of all Americans. We call on Mr. Trump to reconsider his choice, and we call on the Senate Judiciary Committee to roundly reject the appointment should it move forward. This would not be the first time the Judiciary Committee has rejected uh, Sessions, Project Votes uh, points out. Back in 1986, the committee rightfully deemed that Sessions was unfit for the federal bench after allegations of racism were brought forth from people who had worked for him. <laughs> people who had worked for him called him a racist. And the, uh, the late Senator uh, uh, Ted Kennedy, who served on that committee at the time, summarized how Sessions was unfit for any role in forcing and administering justice. Sessions is a throwback to a shameful era, which I know both black and white Americans thought was in our past, Senator Kennedy said at the time. It is inconceivable to me, he said, that a person of this attitude is qualified to be uh, a U.S. attorney, let alone a U.S. federal judge, Kennedy said. He is, I believe, a disgrace to the Justice Department, and he should withdraw his nomination and resign his position as a U.S. attorney back then. But, you know, that was then. This is now. Now he's set to be the U.S. attorney general. Project Vote went on to say it is unthinkable that such a man should be in charge of enforcing and protecting civil rights for the American people. If Mr. Trump is serious about being a president for, quote, all Americans, including people of color, then how the federal government ensures and implements justice must not and cannot be determined by a man like Jefferson Sessions. They say as an organization, Project Vote is dedicated to protecting protecting civil and voting rights, and we are outraged that Mr. Trump would name Sessions to this vital post and commit ourselves to opposing his installation in the U.S. Justice Department. All of that since we spoke with you last, and there is, uh, there is more ahead. And specifically, uh, I want to uh, draw your attention to North Carolina. A, a day or so ago, I had um, cited the, uh, the gubernatorial race there between Governor uh, Pat McCrory and uh, Republican Governor Pat McCrory and the Democratic Attorney General, State Attorney General there, Roy Cooper. It looks like Roy Cooper will have won his election against the very, very controversial governor, uh, Pat McCrory. But we won't know until a, uh, a, a recount, hopefully a hand count of the entire t state takes place. In fact, McCrory right now is down by just under uh, just under 5000 votes. Last I checked. Um. But there were problems with the uh, the voting systems in at least one and at least one of the counties. And in any event, uh, there are touchscreens, 100 percent unverifiable touchscreens used in parts of North Carolina. But even where paper ballots are used, voters cannot know who actually won or lost the race for governor unless and until those paper ballots are actually publicly counted by actual human beings. So. Despite the fact that uh, McCrory is abhorrent, as we've pointed out many times on this show, um, his voters deserve to know whether he actually won or lost. 
And at the time I uh, reported on this a couple of days ago, I noted uh, one little uh, troubling provision in all of this, which is that the uh, the state legislature there, uh, if the race ends up being contested, the state legislature, which is now uh, majority Republican, will get to decide for themselves who they want to be the uh, the governor, no matter what the people said. That's right. They can vote for who they can decide. Oh, it's a contested election. We say it should be McCrory. And this particular General Assembly, given what they have done in recent years, I wouldn't put it by them for a second to steal to steal the governorship for the uh, Republicans. More evidence that they would be willing to do that. This from uh, from Legal Progress this week, Billy Coraher. Uh, Even as Donald Trump won the state, North Carolina voters chose last week to elect a new liberal majority to the state Supreme Court. The new North Carolina Supreme Court would provide a check on the power of the GOP's veto-proof supermajority in the state legislature. But the legislature has now come up with a scheme that would add two seats to the state Supreme Court and allow Governor Pat McCrory to appoint two justices maintaining the uh, current conservative majority before he even leaves office. He has not yet conceded. He will uh, be waiting for the results of of this recount. But the court-packing bill could thus allow the lame-duck governor, if McCrory ends up losing, to decide the future of the state Supreme Court for years to come. Yes, the the Republicans in North Carolina have now lost the majority on the state Supreme Court, the seven-member Supreme Court, so they want to add two more members in order to keep from losing that majority and let the the governor that has been voted out, if he's voted out, let him choose these two uh, justices for this seat. The uh, Raleigh News and Observer's editorial board said, Were this not the General Assembly that brought us racially gerrymandered congressional and legislative districts, HB2, the uh, anti-LGBT bathroom bill, uh, a now unconstitutional marriage amendment and other follies, this this one, they, they write, would be hard to believe. As last week ended, speculation grew in Raleigh that Republicans in the legislature may, in the course of a special session... They're not even in session. They're going to call a special session to address hurricane relief in North Carolina. And while they're there, go ahead and increase membership of the uh, of the state Supreme Court to add a chief justice and an and uh, and eight associate justices. So that would be a boost of two. And it would be appointed by Pat McCrory before he leaves office. No federal lawmakers have tried to uh, try this sort of court packing on the federal level since uh, FDR and his plan to increase the size of the U.S. Supreme Court that was struck down. Um, and uh, he attempted to do that after uh, after the court at the time, after the U.S. Supreme Court had su- struck down a series of New Deal laws that he was trying to put in place. Georgia legislature legislators more recently passed a bill in 2015 that added two seats to the state Supreme Court and resulted in a majority of justices appointed by Republican governors. Uh, conservative legislatures uh, in Arizona and other states followed suit because that's what Republicans do. 
But at least those court-packing schemes did not blatantly overturn the result of a Democratic election, a small-D Democratic election. The proposed North Carolina uh, bill would be a, a slap in the face, says Think Progress, to voters who decided to elect a majority of liberal justices and narrowly rejected the incumbent governor. At least if that's what happens. In any event, um, that's what's happening in North Carolina, where they are trying to steal to steal the state Supreme Court from the Democrats who done won it. <laughs> and uh, and they're willing to do it with uh, with an outgoing governor, uh, despite the fact that Republicans in Congress said that the uh, sitting U.S. president should not fill a Supreme Court that has now sat vacant or will be vacant for almost an entire year once the next president is uh, is sworn in. So can there can anything be done about what is going on for the U.S. Supreme Court? That's what we're going to talk about next with my guest, David Dayen. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your broadcast. Hi, this is Desi Doyen from the Green News Report and the Bradcast. What the public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter. And we do it all independently, without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. All right, welcome back to the broadcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, as I have been saying, in 2000, Republicans used the U.S. Supreme Court to steal the presidency, and in 2016, Republicans have now used the presidency to steal the U.S. Supreme Court. And while I'm, uh, I'm very conservative when it comes to declaring stolen elections, I frankly have no problem here declaring that the U.S. Supreme Court is being stolen, given the unprecedented step that Republicans have taken to keep Barack Obama from carrying out his constitutional duty, to fill the seat vacated last February, last February, by the death of Antonin Scalia, denying him his constitutional right to fill that vacancy with his nominee Merrick Garland and, in the bargain, tipping the court to a five to four Democratic appointed majority uh, had he been allowed to do so, but blocking that from happening uh, and if things move forward as planned at this time, Donald Trump will fill that seat he will return the court to the years-long right-wing majority that Republicans have enjoyed and potentially appoint another uh, another two to three justices over the next few years after that. That is likely to tilt the court to the far right for generations to come. That's right. If, if Donald Trump becomes president, the left could eventually find themselves with a virtually unbreakable six to three minority on the high court, undoing decades of progressive law and uh, rubber stamping whatever a Republican Senate, House and White House 
decide to unleash over the next two years. So I was happy to hear a, a Democratic U.S. senator come out this week and describe this theft for what it really is. Here's Senator Jeff Merkley of Oregon on the uh, on Chris Hayes' show this week. We really have to pay attention to the Supreme Court seat. Uh, the, uh, the seat that is sitting empty is being stolen. There's no legitimacy to uh, Supreme Court justice uh, in a seat, seat that's been stolen from one administration and, and handed to another. Uh, this is going to uh, corrupt our political system uh, in a way never envisioned or intended by our Constitution for a generation to come. And so we need to be talking you... about it and we need to do everything we can to stop it. No legitimacy uh, for whoever uh, Donald Trump might appoint. Uh, this is a theft, as Jeff Merkley, Senator Jeff Merkley, describes it, I would argue correctly. So aside from offering the same obstructionism, to any Donald Trump appointee that Republicans will have brought for a full year to Obama's Supreme Court nominee Merrick Garland, a prospect which could, which would uh, which would be difficult and potentially lead to Republicans blowing up the filibuster entirely, not to mention cripple the court itself for years to come. What if anything, if anything, can be done? to stop the theft of the U.S. Supreme Court for generations. Our old friend David Dayen has a provocative idea about that, which he wrote about this week in The New Republic. Uh, in an article headlined, Obama can and should put Merrick Garland on the Supreme Court. The outgoing president has one final Trump card, and he should play it, says David Dayen. David is, of course, a financial journalist, contributing columnist at The New Republic, The Intercept, and damn near everywhere else. Uh, he's also the author of the new book, Chain of Title, How Three Ordinary Americans Uncovered Wall Street's Great Foreclosure Fraud. And he's also a longtime friend and guest on the broadcast. Hey, David Day, and welcome back, my friend. Hey, how are you, Brad? Oh, I'm okay. Don't ask. Don't ask how I am. <laughs> I won't ask how you are either. Uh, okay. So uh, very quickly, uh, before we get to your idea to uh, prevent Republicans from stealing the Supreme Court, I, I spoke about uh, Donald Trump's apparent plan to nominate racist Alabama Senator Jeff Sessions as the new U.S. Attorney General uh, a little bit in the previous segment. But, but in addition to his history of old-school Southern racism and bigotry, you pointed out another matter concerning Sessions in your, your, uh, your email newsletter today in regard to his, temp to, uh, to, to his attempt back in, what, 2008 to exempt the entire banking industry from an active lawsuit? What was that about? <laughs> yeah, there was this... Uh, so, as you know now, if you do mobile checking... Mm -hmm. uh, you can take a picture of your check right. on your phone, mm -hmm. and that is good enough for it to be cashed or deposited into your account. Right. right? Yeah. That is a function of something that happened after 9-11 when, uh, prior to that, uh, you had to actually physically deliver these checks uh, to the proper mm -hmm. place in order for them to be deposited. And uh, this became unwieldy when all the planes were shut down mm -hmm. uh, in those couple days. And so they thought about a different system. And there was a company named Data Treasury who created the patent for digitally scanning these checks, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and the banking system started using that without paying Data Treasury. Oh, man. Um, and Data Treasury sued uh, because they did have a patent 
on this idea of, of digitally scanning and sending and archiving checks. Mm-hmm. And Jeff Sessions, in 2008, in a, in a completely separate bill, tucked in this provision uh, on the behest of the banks to give them effectual immunity against this lawsuit that Data Treasury put against uh, uh, these banks, and that Data Treasury would be paid out by the U.S. Treasury, by taxpayer dollars, for a billion dollars. Uh, to basically make this lawsuit go away. So not so just the transfer of banks paying a billion dollars to taxpayers paying a billion dollars to Data Treasury. So not just give them immunity, but uh, basically settle and pay them off, uh, pay them to go away by us instead of the banks. Exactly. And, uh, wow. And this is uh, somewhat common. I mean, uh, yeah. as you know, the uh, uh, colleague... Of Jeff Sessions is Richard Shelby, who's mm-hmm. the chair, outgoing chair of the Senate Banking Committee. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sessions, as well, has received uh, numerous financial contributions from mm-hmm. banking interests. Uh, so, you know, I mean, not the only thing that uh, the Attorney General does is certainly not uh, civil rights and, 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 and those kinds of things, although they're incredibly important, voting rights. Right. But the Attorney General also polices corporate crime and uh, uh, it has prosecutorial discretion on who to indict and who to convict uh, in those cases. And all indications are that Sessions uh, is a sort of down-the-line, laissez-faire type who isn't going to really care Wow. You also note, by the way, that uh, he and his wife, uh, Sessions and his wife, held $350,000 worth of uh, what, a bank, bank stock. stock. Yeah. yeah. yeah and, including and, in Citigroup. So uh, they, were, they were helping themselves yeah. uh, uh, while they were uh, putting that in <laughs> did, did that succeed, by the way? Did that pass? or what happened? Uh, Do you know what ended up happening? Did the banks have to pay off that company? Or I don't believe that the banks ever uh, ended up having to pay off data treasury. Now, uh, the bill that was uh, put together was a patent reform bill, which didn't get done until years and years later, uh, under Obama, actually. Uh, and I'm not sure that that provision stayed in under Obama. Wow. Uh, I'd have to go back and check that. But the point is is that he yeah. was willing yeah. uh, to do this on behalf of his uh, corporate benefit. I think we're going to find, a, uh, find out a lot about what uh, Jeff Sessions has been willing to do, because uh, fortunately he does need to get approved by the U.S. Senate. Uh, and so, Although oh, in an up, and down, or up or down vote. He so oh. does not need one Democrat in order to... Uh, oh, really? Yes, the, the, uh, no the Democrats changed that rule oh, uh, with right. the nuclear option. Right. So That's any right. executive appointment, yep. uh, short of the Supreme Court, yep. uh, requires only a majority vote, even just as little as 50 votes if Mike Pence wants to break the tie. And there's so, there's no actual, I forgot about that, but there, there's no actual requirement to hold hearings either, is there? Well, they're going to hold hearings. Are they? In all, in all likelihood. Uh, I don't uh-huh. think there's ever been a requirement to hold a hearing for a particular mm-hmm. uh, executive appointment, but that's, it's a sort of standard practice. But it's a good point to dig us into what we're, yep. what we're about to talk to, which is, you know, 
traditional standard practices <laughs> who cares about them and who doesn't yeah no exactly and uh, that's why i wonder whether they'll actually will hold those uh, hearings but we'll see uh all right so you're right this does get us into this so okay your idea how can obama if he wanted to play that one last trump card to save the highest court in the land from being out and out stolen by republicans david dan Right. So Article 2, Section 2 of the Constitution says that when there are vacancies and the Senate is not in session, that the president can fill up those vacancies with recess appointments, mm-hmm. and they would hold until the end of the next Senate session. Uh, in this case, it would be for one year. Mm-hmm. Um, now, uh, there was a, a Supreme Court ruling in 2014 that dealt with, you know, Obama tried to do some of these reassess appointments. He's actually done far less than, mm-hmm. than Republican presidents in the past, um, but he, he ran into a roadblock because the Senate would not fully adjourn. Right. Uh, when they would go into recess, they would hold these things called pro forma sessions, mm-hmm. where they would have a senator come in, bang a gavel, and walk out, and that would be the session of the Senate that day, and they do this every three days, and it was entirely to frustrate the president away from having uh, being able to do a recess appointment because the Senate would technically not be in recess. And, and to be fair, that uh, Republicans did that for eight years under Obama, but that came after, I think, Democrats started doing that during the George W. Bush presidency. Right, and it was sort of a turnabout thing. Even when Democrats held the Senate, mm-hmm. Republicans refused to adjourn, to agree to a motion to adjourn, unless Democrats would do that, unless mm-hmm. they would ha- hold pro forma sessions. So uh, Barack Obama got sick of this, said, uh, look, these aren't real sessions. This mm-hmm. is just an attempt to frustrate me. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and nominate some and appoint some, some people who have been blockaded by the Republicans. And there was a Supreme Court case that came out of that. And this case said that, yes, those pro forma sessions are real sessions, the Senate is in session when they say they're in session, and, uh, you know, Barack Obama can't really do that. Uh, but what they went forward and said is that any recess appointment has to come after a 10-day break uh, in the recess. So uh, that would seemingly stop the president from, you know, being able to engage this, this recess appointment mm-hmm. uh, power. However... There is something called an intercession recess. So mm-hmm. there's a, a recess when they just take off for the summer or they take off for the elections. But there's also an intercession recess when one session of Congress ends and another one begins, like we're going to see on January 3rd, 2017. The 114th Congress is going to end. The 115th is going to begin. So there's a ma- so there's a moment in time, no there's matter a- what, even if they try to make these pro forma sessions... Where they bang the gap, bang the, the session right. in, 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 into order, and then dismiss it immediately. Right. There will be that moment in time. Yes. As a metaphysical yeah. reality, <laughs> yes. there, there is an end to one session and a beginning to another. And this has been exploited by presidents in the past. Teddy Roosevelt used one of these minute end-to-one session beginning to another to recess appoint hundreds of executive branch appointees. And... Uh, you know, the only thing before the Supreme Court in 2014 was whether these pro forma sessions were sessions. They, they 
don't don't have the power to rule mm-hmm. on whether or not intercession recess appointments are legitimate or not. That would require another ruling. Right. So the idea is that President Obama could then, on January third, twenty seventeen, say, "I'm appointing Merrick Garland to the Supreme Court right now. Deal with it." And and it, they could challenge it, but at that point, uh, it would actually go to the Supreme Court with Merrick would, Garland sitting on it, right? It would go to the Supreme Court, <laughs> yes. And and there are, you know, this becomes sort of a, a parlor game of what could the response be. First of all, everyone would lose their damn minds right. if this actually happened. Yeah. Second of all, uh, you know, the Republicans might have a response to this. For example... Uh, the Senate could say, all right, well, we'll start our session, and then we'll stop our session on January 20th. Uh, Donald Trump will sign that adjournment, uh. and because Merrick Garland is only eligible until the end of the next session, then that session would end right. within 18 days of him being placed on the court. Uh. However, you have to get... Uh, a unanimous consent and break a filibuster in order to uh, get that done. And so Democrats could maybe hold out there or, you know, so your your mind kind of reels. Uh, There's Donald Trump even has the power as president to adjourn the Congress, uh, Article 2, Section 3 of the Constitution. So he could use that power. It's never been used before in U.S. history, but that probably wouldn't bother him. So uh, what this really was was sort of an exercise. Mm Mm-hmm. And I was posing the question, you know, if there was a way for a Democrat like Barack Obama to resist this situation and take back what, as you say, was stolen Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of the Supreme Court, would he do it? And my answer is pretty clearly no. Nothing in his character shows that he would push anything to the limit in this Mm -hmm. this in this fashion, uh, because whether it wouldn't be sporting or, or, or whatever, but really it, it's a respect for governing norms. Not things that are rules, but things that are traditionally done. And, and, and let me, and, and I want to talk about the way things are traditionally done and about those norms, but just to be clear, this has been done before, right? There have yes, been Supreme Court vacancies that have been filled during, uh, with recess appointments, correct? Yes. Uh, Dwight Eisenhower did it twice, uh, once with Earl Warren, uh, who was the Chief Justice, and mm-hmm. once with William Brennan. And in both occasions, they began their tenure with recess appointments on the courts, and then afterward, uh, the Congress, which actually was a Congress of the other party, mm-hmm. uh, confirmed them later on down so, the line. So it's not that outrageous. It's not that it's outside there of a, there norms. Right. There is a precedent. So the norms at this point are, are norms that have changed over time, right? Right, and it's seemingly they're const- they constrain, you know, Democrats but not Republicans is what it seems like mm-hmm. uh, uh, often. Uh, exactly. Because, you know, we've seen this. Uh, the, the, the very fact that Merrick Garland didn't even uh, get so much as a hearing uh, is breaking a, a long-standing norm. Of course, of of granting the the nominee for the Supreme Court the opportunity to give his views. So, and look, you, David, you offer um, 
you know, a list of quite a few norms that have been broken in recent years by Republicans, in addition to the one you point out that they didn't even meet with Merrick Garland or hold. I mean, you know, they could have held hearings and then voted uh, voted him down. They have the power to do that, but they wouldn't even do that. So, you know, to me, uh, David, uh, whether Obama would actually do this or not, and I could and, and you could probably as well make the case that it might be a bad idea for him to do this just politically, the the war that it will start then right. and there. But is look, isn't this going to be all out war anyway? I heard some, you know, conservative Democrats uh, so far, some you know Democratic senators who are up for reelection in 2020 from these red states like Joe Manchin and uh, from West Virginia right. and John Tester from Montana, you know, saying that Democrats need to work with Republicans and with right. Trump. But it seems to me that at this point, the GOP has no interest in that. They have been saying that this is their absolute last chance to save the world. If they didn't win this election, the, you know, it was over. So why wouldn't they unleash absolutely everything they have before the 2020 election? Kill Medicare, kill Roe v. Wade, Dodd-Frank, you know, the banking reforms. Uh, everything they can from the Obama, uh, obviously the Affordable Care Act, kill every single thing they can. I mean, so if there's going to be a war, doesn't the advantage go to the one whoever, you know, to whoever strikes first? Well, I mean, this is kind of my point, is that uh, Republicans see this as a war, and Democrats see this as, uh, a, a, you know, a process. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and Democrats bring this butter knife to a gunfight. Yep. Uh, there is an asymmetrical way in which the rules are, of the game are used on either side. Mm-hmm. And when it's asymmetrical like that, public policy is going to drift toward the side that is more aggressive. And that's my, my larger mm-hmm. point here, is that when Republicans work the rules entirely for partisan gain, and when Democrats say, well, we wouldn't want to stir up a hornet's nest by, you know, uh, going mm-hmm. against long-established norms. Uh, that creates uh, an asymmetry that's that's very problematic. And it's the asymmetry that we're we're seeing now, David. That we've seen now for for years. Uh, you know that you you cite as. Uh, one of the points here, uh, Tom DeLay, back in, um, what was this, I guess, yeah, yeah back in 2003, they, uh, they did a, a second redistricting in the state of Texas that was overseen by then, uh, I guess, was he the majority leader at that time in the... Uh, the uh, yes, he was the, he's the House Majority Leader House Majority at Leader. Time, and, and he engineered that with his buddies in Texas. And they had uh, never done a redistricting. Game, yeah. Purely, you know, because there wasn't anything saying you couldn't. And they picked up a lot of seats. They picked up a lot of seats uh, in Texas, uh, uh, Texas House seats in the U.S. Congress. Yes, I think it was that the 2002 mm-hmm. election mm-hmm. that it was that the state legislator dictated the state legislator dictated the maps. Right. And in the 2002 election, Texas picked up a bunch of seats in the state legislature, and they wanted to use that to draw new, more partisan maps that would allow them to take more seats. And after a a long process, I I remember Mm -hmm. some Texas Democrats flew out of the state to try to deny a quorum, I believe. Uh, But eventually that went down, and and Texas Republicans picked up five congressional seats because they were willing to break a norm. Yep, 
And that's a price that is still being paid by Democrats today, all of these years later. And you've got a bunch of other, uh, uh, you know, similar cases uh, that, you know, Democrats are still paying for. So at some point, they've got to realize they are losing this asymmetrical war. And they, I guess, really need to figure out if that's going to change. And I, I might argue uh, that, uh, you know, keeping the uh, U.S. Supreme Court from being stolen for generations might be the right time to uh, to pull that trigger. Well, I mean, certainly they're hanging by a fingernail. Yep. And uh, the, the 48 votes they have in the U.S. Senate is all they have between standing between them and total uh, total Republican triumph. Yep. And uh, Republicans seem wary of killing the filibuster for legislative matters. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it does look like Repo- Democrats will be able to use that power if they want it. Uh, but it, it, I'm not sure that they're going to uh, not just nuke the filibuster for Supreme Court justice. I, think- I, I feel like if Democrats go ahead and, and you know, deny mm-hmm. uh the, the, the seat, which was, as you say, kind of rightfully in, in the hands of President Obama, uh, I feel like they will, they will end that filibuster for Supreme Court justices, and they will, they will make that a majority vote position. I think they're uh, going we'll have to see, though. I, 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 think they, uh, <laughs> I, I think they're going to nuke the filibuster for everything. And, you know, we, the, a case can be made. I've made the case that the filibuster is not really constitutional. It's, you right. know, it should be killed. But uh, well, it certainly would be good for Democratic accountability. Well, and the, the uh, irony: if the winner wins the election; right? they get to put in their their program, and then people get to see that program, and they can assess whether it worked or not. And if it didn't work, they can vote the the people who uh, engineered that program out right. of office. Right. I mean, the irony here, of course, is that that you know Democrats did not want to do away with that filibuster when they had the chance. Uh, because they knew they would need it in the minority. Well, you know, I don't think Republicans will uh, have any problem killing that filibuster well, if they need to. I think they're going to be uh, kind of pinched between their political uh, uh, worries and the base. Mm-hmm. The base is going to want them to kill that filibuster yep. because the base is going to want uh, the, the successes that they feel were coming to them. They might not. I mean, if you think about... Mitch McConnell, he's a purely political animal, mm-hmm. and he obstructed in 2009, you remember the statement where he said, you know, we wanted to make sure nothing was bipartisan because we wanted to make sure there was a big debate going on. Right. Well, he doesn't want that big debate on the other side because he wants Democratic buy-in on some of these things so they can't hurt him with it politically. And mm-hmm. so in his mind, he probably mm-hmm. thinks, uh, well, I don't know if I want to kill that filibuster because then I have to own this stuff. Yeah. But his base wants him to own that stuff right. because they want fundamental changes. Exactly. So and when has going to be this tension? It's going to be very interesting to watch. Yeah. And when has he ever stood up to his own Republican base? When has Mitch McConnell or or the Republicans uh, as a whole, in recent memory, actually stood right. up to their Which own is base? Why I think initially so. they're talking. You know, you've seen Orrin Hatch and John McCain and some of these other people come out. I, you might not see it in the first two years because the Senate map is so lopsided. Mm-hmm. There isn't much chance for accountability from the base here. Uh, there are only 10 seats 
that are uh, open mm-hmm. on the uh, that are going to be contested on the Republican ten Republican seats in 2018. There's right. 23 or 24 on the Democratic side, and one of them is Orrin Hatch, who's retiring. So, uh, you know, there's just not a lot of opportunity for the base if they're pissed off to take a scalp, uh, and 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 it, that insulates a lot of. Republicans who, uh, Republican senators who might not want to give up this power because maybe they think the same exact thing. Here we are eight years ago, uh, yeah. the filibuster protected them. So yeah, well, I, I, I think, yeah, no, it is fascinating. And I, I don't think they have the, uh, the courage to stand up to their base. We'll uh, and you're right, though, we will see. And I, I mean, because they don't have to worry about it in some regard in 2018. Uh, because they're likely to hang on in that majority for another two years at least thereafter. So we will see. i got to get out, but I'm glad we got to speak about both Jeff Sessions and Senate Sessions in the same uh, in the same segment here. David Dayan, always great to talk to you, my friend. I would encourage folks to go buy his book, Chain of Title, How, the, How Three Ordinary Americans Uncovered Wall Street's Great Foreclosure Fraud. Uh, and also, uh, before I let you go, David, I just want to—I want to thank you again for all of your help to this program throughout the election season. I know that you spent quite a few hours here, making us all much smarter during our coverage of the impossible, insane, endless debates. So I, I thank you for that, and I hope you'll—you'll you'll come back and keep making us smarter, whatever uh, no, whatever comes I, down the barrel at this point. I get the, the feeling years. that smarts on the way out politically, but. <laughs> you know, I'll do what I can. Smart and real news versus fake news. But we'll have we'll settle for your real news. Thank you, David Day, and check him out, of course, at the New Republic and the Intercept and on the Twitters at D Dayan. Thank you, brother. All right, a quick break, and we are back with uh, maybe our only ray of sunshine, Desi Doyen, with the latest Green News report. So uh buckle up, stand by. I'm Brad Friedman. We'll be right back. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. Given the outcome of the 2016 election, we really need your support now more than ever. Progressive media outlets have been under attack for years, even during supposedly progressive administrations. We are now facing a whole new world and real alternatives to the mainstream corporate media. You know, the folks who got it all wrong from the jump must be able to continue the fight for all of us. This is not a drill. It never was. Please consider a donation to our work here on the Bradcast by stopping by bradblog.com slash donate to help out however you can. A monthly pledge is greatly appreciated, but anything you can share will keep us going. That's bradblog.com slash donate. And please consider supporting whichever progressive media outlet is serving you. Most, just like us, do not receive corporate or political support. We all need your support to keep up the resistance, now more than ever. From Desi Doyen and myself, thank you. Okay, Desi Doyen. Yeah? Can you uh, send us home tonight with uh, something that is a little bit less dark? Something, something to be hopeful for. I will try. No, you. It probably won't work out. Welcome <laughs> back to the Bradcast, Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. It's oh, it's never good when we have to turn to the Green News Report for our good news. 
But that's what we're doing today. Yep. Here we go. Our latest Green News report. And if there are other approaches, such as declaring Sandy Rock a federal monument, let's do that. Senator Bernie Sanders finds a new way to block the Dakota Access Pipeline. But that isn't going to replace, you know, what was there when, when we had a vibrant coal industry. Republican Senate Majority Leader admits U.S. coal jobs unlikely to be coming back. Mercury contamination in fish is declining thanks to pollution regulations. October 26 was not the hottest October on record. Plus, it's no longer a question of whether to accelerate the agreement's implementation, but rather a question of when and how. U.S. climate negotiators say climate action is unstoppable even in the age of Trump. Oh, those optimistic diplomats. All of that optimism and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. He wants to get rid of the EPA and replace the environment with something terrific. Well, hey, at least he's got a plan. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, did I hear you say there in the teaser that October 2016 was not the hottest October on record? That's right, you did. And that's news? That is news. It was the second hottest October on record. Well, again, there's something. Finding the optimism wherever we can. See? Got more for us? (laughs) Yes, yes. Bernie Sanders came up with a great idea to block the Dakota Access Pipeline. During a worldwide day of action against the pipeline, protests took place in 300 cities around the world and the U.S. in solidarity with the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe, who say the pipeline threat their drinking water and sacred sites at a rally outside the White House. Senator Bernie Sanders called on President Obama to cancel the project. Every environmental study will tell you do not build this pipeline. And if there are other approaches, such as declaring Standing Rock a federal monument, let's do that. So what he's saying there is Obama could just reject the Dakota Access Pipeline if he wanted to now, but Trump could simply reverse that. On the other hand, if Obama declares it a federal monument, then there's nothing Trump could do to reverse that? Uh, Pretty much, if I understand it correctly. That's pretty smart. That guy ought to run for president or something. On Monday, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers delayed final approval for a crucial permit allowing the company to tunnel under the Missouri River. That's pending further consultation with the Standing Rock Sioux Tribe. Meanwhile, in coal country, despite Donald Trump's campaign promises to revitalize the declining U.S. coal industry, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell finally admitted in a recent press conference that repealing the Obama administration's coal emissions and pollution standards might not actually bring back the U.S. coal industry. We are going to be presenting uh, to the new president a variety of options that could end this assault. Whether that immediately brings business back, it's hard to tell because this is a private sector activity. McConnell is acknowledging that market forces from cheaper natural gas and the rise of renewable energy are really what's behind the coal industry's struggles. Huh. I thought it was Obama's war on coal. Turns out, I guess it isn't. Some more encouraging news. Thanks to that global decline in the use of coal and tighter pollution regulations, toxic mercury contamination from coal that's now found in the fish we eat 
may also be declining. A new Harvard study this week has found that since 2004, as coal use has declined, mercury contamination in tuna has also declined by an average of 19 percent. Well, I'm sure Mitch McConnell is very upset about that. In Morocco, where United Nations member countries are meeting to hammer out the next phase of the Paris Agreement, the global accord to cut global greenhouse gas emissions, former French President Nicolas Sarkozy has called for the European Union to slap a border carbon tax on all imports. U.S. products if Donald Trump withdraws the U.S. from the agreement. In a press conference on Wednesday, U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry sought to reassure world leaders. No one has a right to make decisions that affect billions of people based on solely ideology or without proper input. And no one, no one should doubt the overwhelming majority of the citizens of the United States who know climate change is happening and who are determined to keep our commitments that were made in Paris. Uncertainty about America's commitment to the Paris Agreement is tilting global leadership at the U.N. conference toward China, which seems to suit China just fine, according to Reuters. So other countries are moving ahead on climate action with or without the United States. Making America suck again. For much more on that and other optimistic stories, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget, you can download our reports anytime via Stitcher, TuneIn, or iTunes. Find us and follow us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Forget the troubles, come on, get happy. You better chase all the cares away. Yes. Hallelujah, come on, get happy. Get ready for the judgment day. Oh, it's that judgment day that I'm worried about. <laughs> Oh, and it is coming. Oh, it is apparently coming. Uh, and what kind of shape are we in when it is China uh, trying to uh, tell Donald Trump that, no, climate change is not a hoax. We did not invent it. It is real. And and they're taking over uh, the leadership oh, role. It they're seems. more than happy to be the ones that lead the way in the clean energy revolution. They're going to be the ones that get to sell it to everybody instead of the United States that developed it in the first place. And they're the ones uh, they have been uh, for the last three years. They have uh, declining emissions, uh, global warming, uh, greenhouse gas emissions in China. Yes, they've been doing great strides on that. And yes, it's true. For the third year in a row, global emissions have remained flat. That is excellent news. It's just a shame that we won't be the ones to make global emissions. Yeah, but I'm saying specifically China has actually decreased. And this is after years of Republicans saying, well, China and India, they're not going to do anything about it. Right. So uh, China is doing something about it. Will the U.S. do anything about it? That remains to be seen. How's that for a cliffhanger dun, dun, dun. for your life and your <laughs> planet? Anyway, thank yeah. you very much, uh, Desi Doyen, our producer. My thanks to David Dayan of the New Republic and The Intercept, my guest today. Thank you, David. Uh, And thanks to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's Bradcast, you can download it for free, as ever, at bradblog.com. You can also drop me an email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com, and I am on the Facebooks and the Twitters at TheBradBlog. Thanks again to those of you who have stopped by bradblog.com slash donate. Greatly appreciated. It will help help us buy uh, cold medicine. Until we meet again, 
I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Forget your troubles. Come on, get happy. You better chase all the cares away. Shout hallelujah. Come on, get happy. Get ready for the judgment day. 